Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon you're hearing today is by Dan Stetler. It was preached back in 1996 in Lebanon, Pennsylvania at the God's Missionary Church during their revival. It's a stirring message entitled, Decisions and Choices. I trust you will enjoy today's message. It's wonderful to know this morning that you make a difference to somebody. There's some people in this world that have a deep conviction that it really doesn't make a difference to anybody what happens to them. Well, I'm glad to tell you this morning that's not true with you because Jesus cares. He certainly does. I mentioned in the Sunday school that because of, I suppose, because of my makeup as a person, I find it easy to be a recreational sleeper. That is, I never lay awake at night wishing I could go to sleep. I never enjoy hearing the alarm clock go off in the morning. (laughs) I am just not wired up that way. And in addition to that, there were times when I was younger. I don't think I've done it any time recently, but there are times when I was younger when I would get up and wander about in my sleep. And that got real exciting. Uh, I remember the time, for example, when we lived in a place on the campus of God's Bible School where we had three stories of a very tall, very narrow house. On the second floor were bedrooms. And my parents' bedroom was on the second floor And that floor was at the same level. The house was built kind of down in a hole, actually. We had a little yard, but uh, right above us was the dining hall of the the Bible College. And the girls' dormitory was right behind that. And uh, out of my parents' bedroom went a door that led out by the dining hall and behind the girls' dormitory. And one night I woke up headed out that door. And behind me, I heard my father saying, where in the world are you going? (laughs) Now, I wasn't uh, dressed all that well and certainly not in a position to be out running around behind the girls' dormitory there. That could have gotten real exciting. And I was rather happy that he caught me before I got out the door because I was definitely headed that direction. As a matter of fact, he said that I had told him that I was headed to the library. Well, if I had gone to the library, that would have gotten even more exciting. I didn't realize where I was going. There are lots of people who have made decisions and set courses in life, and they're headed in a direction, but they've never stopped long enough to think about where they're headed. They're headed in a direction personally, in their personal life. Or maybe they're headed in a direction in terms of their family. There are churches that are headed in directions that they've never stopped to analyze. And in in the pages of Scripture, we have some examples of people who made choices, and those choices molded into a direction. And that direction led toward an ultimate destination, We can learn from their experience. So I would like to invite you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis, chapter 13. Now, beginning back in the middle or so of chapter 11 in Genesis, we have the story of Moses, not of Moses, but of Abraham. And in chapter 12, we have Abraham leaving Haran and 
heading for the land of Canaan, and they got into the land of Canaan, and Abraham had his brother's son with him. The brother had died, Nahor, and Abraham had taken his son uh, as his own. And now Lot was grown and married and had a family and had uh, a lot of livestock. And so he and Abraham were experiencing some difficulties because as they moved from place to place in their nomadic lifestyle, there just was not enough vegetation to support the flocks and herds of two very wealthy, prosperous uh, cattle owners. So... In verse 5 of chapter 13, uh, Abraham, well, let let me just begin reading with verse 1 of chapter 13. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south, that is, into the southern part of the land of Canaan. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together." And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right Or if thou depart to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from another. Abram dwelling in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelling in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Here we have a choice made. Two men, too too many cattle, too much conflict. And so Abram, the older of the two, says to the younger Lot, You choose which direction you will go. You choose which part of the country you want to live in. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Apparently, they were at some juncture where you could get a panoramic view of the land. And as Lot looked out to his left, he saw that the plains of Jordan were fertile, well-watered, waving in grass, and an excellent place to take care of the herds of livestock that he had. Now, at that point, we, we have a little bit of problem with Lot because Abram had cattle too. The likelihood is that Lot had developed his herd from Abraham's herd. So it seems a little bit selfish that Lot would choose the well-watered plains of Jordan that provided the two primary ingredients for livestock care, water and grass. But he made the choice. Now, if that's all we knew about this, we would have a little question mark in the backside of our mind about Lot because of his choosing that over giving it to Abraham. But... We know more about the story than that because we're told in this passage that this well-watered plain didn't just contain water and ample grass. It also contained cities. And those cities were some of the wickedest cities in the history of the human race. So Lot chose. He chose the well-watered plains. Abraham, on the other hand, took the mountains. When I stop to think about Lot's choice, 
and think about it more carefully, not only am I a little bit concerned about the fact that Lot chooses this over giving it to Abraham, who was older and the man who had given him his start in the cattle business, but I become concerned because I don't see in Lot any careful consideration leading up to this decision. Because as you look at the scripture again, it says that Lot lifted up his eyes in verse 10 and he beheld all of the plain and it was well watered everywhere. It goes on to say it was like the garden of God, which would be the garden of Eden. Or it was like Zoar as you're coming out of Egypt. That was the land where the children of Israel had gone because they had livestock. So this was a gorgeous piece of property. But I don't see one reference in that verse to Lot giving any consideration whatsoever to the fact that this beautiful piece of land also contains some horrible cancers of sin. There doesn't seem to be anything but a strictly materialistic evaluation in this choice. I don't need to tell you that there are lots of people who make choices that way, who make decisions based only on the material gain. I have to wonder sometimes why some people make the job changes they do. They decide we'll pull up stakes as a family and we'll move to City X and we'll take this new job and it'll give me $10,000 more a year without any consideration. Is there a church there for your family? Is there a Christian school for your children to go to? Is there a, a, a church family that will nurture spiritual life? Is it as good or better than what you're leaving or is it much worse? Have you ever thought about that? I can't help but think sometimes when young people get ready to go off to college and mom and dad are all excited, they're going to go off to study for medicine or they're going to go off to study pre-law or they're going to do something else. And the question that always runs around in my mind is, where are they going to go to church while they're doing that? What's going to happen to their spiritual life? Are they going to move into a dormitory full of young people whose morals say anything goes? Are they going to be in an environment where the smartest people they've ever met in their life are going to chip away, or maybe I should say ram away at their faith in Scripture? at their confidence in God and his word. What about that? Did you ever stop to think about that? Is there anything that's going to nurture spiritual life while this young person is in that setting? Only the material considerations entered into Lot's decision. Now, we know that Lot had children. And we have to ask ourselves, Lot, what about your kids? Lot, Lot what about your family? For you see, this decision that he made to choose the plane in verse 11 quickly moves into verse 12 where it says, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain. Well, that's interesting. Because if you read a little further in this chapter, you'll discover that these cities all were terrible. They weren't all as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah, but they were all bad enough to come under the judgment of God. God's plan was to destroy all of these cities in this plain. And so I see Lot choosing, my, look at the place there is here for livestock. I don't have to think two minutes to decide which part of this choice I want. Look at the water. It sparkles everywhere. Look at the waving plains of, of lush grass while my cattle will be knee-deep in clover. But as I stand beside him, I say, Lot, what's the smoke over there and over here? And over here, there are a couple. What, what is that, Lot? Lot, do you know that the smoke over there is from the city of Sodom? And over there, it's Gomorrah? Do you know anything about those cities, Lot? If you don't, you ought to find out. I can almost hear Lot say, oh, yeah, I know they're bad. Yeah, I've heard all about that. Everybody knows about Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, the, tra the travelers, the traders coming through tell us how bad it is in Sodom and Gomorrah. We all know about that, but we're not going that way. We're going over here. Well, Lot, what about those cities? They're only about a half step behind. Lot, have you ever thought about your children? 
Oh, well, we're not going to the cities. We're just choosing the plain. But once Lot's choice has been made to select the plain, it's not long until his mind begins to work. And he says, listen, it's fine to be a nomad. That is, have a tent and move from place to place to place to place to place. But you know, it'd be a lot better if we had a fixed dwelling place. You know, if we were in the city, it would be so much closer to the grocery. It'd be so much better for my family. There'd be other people. And I'm saying, Lot, hey, Lot, wake up, Lot. What kind of people? What's in that city, Lot? Do you really want to take your family to the cities of the plain? Lot's making decisions one at a time. Choose the plain. Choose the cities of the plain. And then to our consternation, we look at verse 12 again, and it ends up by saying, and he pitched his tent toward Abraham. No, no, no. That's not what it says. It says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. You know, there's a progressiveness here that troubles me. Almost nobody takes one giant step from good to evil. When I was a little kid, we used to play Mother May I. Do you remember that game? And you'd stand back here and somebody was up there and they'd say, okay, you can ask me. And we'd say, Mother May I take two baby steps. And they'd say, okay. And we'd put our toe in front of our other toe and we'd take our baby steps. And then if you could catch them watching somebody else, you could sneak ahead a little bit, you know. If they caught you, you had to go back. You remember that game? Well, a lot of times life, the decisions of life and the directions of life are made in baby step fashion. We don't make giant strides. We choose a little and choose a little and choose a little and choose a little. And all of a sudden we look around and say, hey, how did I get here? One little step, one little decision at a time. Lot chooses the plane. Lot chooses the cities of the plain. Lot chooses the Sodom of the plain. And all of a sudden, I see Lot in Sodom. I don't know what his rationale was there. Maybe his wife got so enamored with the life in the cities of the plain. Maybe she found out that if she had a permanent house, she could really fix it up nice, and you didn't have to worry about tearing down the tent and moving on in a couple of weeks, you know. So she really got enamored. Maybe she heard about the big houses in Sodom, the big city, you know. Maybe she heard about all the shops in Sodom. Maybe she heard about the social life of Sodom. I don't know, but it may have been Lot's wife. Or it may have been the kids. Oh, Dad, for the first time in our life, we've got friends. For the first time in our life, we're not nomads anymore. We don't wander from place to place to place to place. I am so sick of setting up tents, Dad. I never want to set up another tent as long as I live. Dad, why don't we move to the big city? You know, they got better schools in the big city. Dad, there are all kind of people in the big city. Dad, if we could go to the city, I could play in the marching band. Oh, Dad, if we could go. It may have been the kids. Or it may have been Lot himself. You know, these little cities are fine. They're better than nomadic life because there you're in the inner workings of the commerce. You get on the chamber of commerce. You become a part of the planning committee for the city. Lot's no dummy. He knows that the nerve center of this whole region is the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you really want to get where it's at, if you really want to get where it's happening, you've got to go to Sodom. And so Lot rationalizes in his own mind, if I can go to Sodom, if I can be there in the center of business, if I can be there, my business can prosper, my family can do well, we can maintain our integrity, so we'll move to Sodom. And the next thing we know, Lot's in Sodom. Not only is he in Sodom, but probably when he gets there and he surveys the surroundings and he sees the licentiousness, he's saying, oh boy, I didn't know what I was bargaining for when I came here. I, I don't know. I don't want my kids becoming sodomites. I don't want my daughters marrying these guys. 
And so Lot says, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to have to get where I can do something about this. I'm going to have to get to where I can be a part of the leadership of this city, and then I can change things. I'll be a voice for right on the city council. Maybe I can be elected mayor. After all, I've learned a few things across the years, and I am a successful businessman. As I survey the other businesses in this city, mine's as good as any of them. Maybe I can be the mayor. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what happened. Lot went and sat in the gate. Now, in these oriental cities, the leaders of the city sat in the gate. And as people came and went, they brought their controversies. They brought their, their need for a notary public or something of that order to the gate. And the officials took care of the needs there. So we see Lot sitting in the gate. He's a leader of the city. As a matter of fact, when the angelic visitors come to say, God is going to destroy the city, Lot's not just on the city council. Lot is the head man of the city. Now you might say, well, Lot, Lot probably lost his integrity to get there. You'd have to cut corners and compromise. You'd have to scratch everybody's back. You'd have to fit into the system. But the New Testament tells us Lot never gave in to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't that wonderful? That may be wonderful, but that's not all. Because as you look at this story, you find a man making decisions and setting a direction in his life. You know something? There's not a one of us that live to ourselves or die to ourselves. And Lot was so busy being successful. He was so busy keeping his own integrity that it never dawned on him that those around him might not be following in his footsteps. I don't know exactly how it happened. It may have been like this. His daughter came home from school one day and Lot's busy. And she says, Daddy, hey, Daddy, won't you get away from the books long enough to let me talk to you? I've got some really important news. In fact, Dad, I've got this really neat guy I want you to meet. And Lot lays his ledger book down and sticks his quill in the inkwell and turns around and there stands a sodomite. You have to say the guy's good looking. Yeah, he's tall and dark and handsome. And she says, Daddy, I want you to meet my, well, my friend. And Lot kind of forces his hand out to shake with the young guy, but he's cold. And it's not long until the fellow excuses himself and goes on because he senses the cool atmosphere. And he no more than gets the door shut behind his heels until Lot's saying, where did that come from? And she says, what do you mean, where did that come from? Daddy, you didn't even show common, ordinary respect. And I see Lot saying, what do you expect? I told you when we came here, I didn't want sodomites for son-in-laws. Daddy, what do you expect? You brought us here. This is a natural place and time of life for this kind of thing to transpire Daddy, what did you expect? Just what did you expect? He's one of the nicest ones of the whole bunch. I've tried to remember our family values. I've tried to remember our identity. I didn't just pick anybody. The least thing you could do was be nice to him, Dad. Oh, okay. But I don't like it. But he comes. And he comes. And Lot talks, and she refutes. And one day, the young man says, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Lot, I would be very honored if I could have the hand of your daughter in marriage. Lot's gruff. I'll have to think about it. The young man leaves. He starts in again. I don't want sodomites for son-in-laws. She says, Daddy, I want to tell you, you can either go along or we'll go without you. I'm going to marry him. After all, I'm of age. And Lot does go. 
Big hot tears squeeze out of the corner of his eyes as he stands with her. The wedding is splendid. After all, he's the richest man in town. The attendants are gorgeous. The music is majestic. The intonation of the ceremony is marvelous. But deep in Lot's heart, there's something that says, I didn't want it to go this way. But Lot, you chose your way one choice at a time to this point. Lot, what do you expect? Hey, Mary, they leave. They settle in their own home. Lot helps him get started in business. And the kid's bright. You got to say that. The kid's bright. It's not long until he's working in well with his father. But they don't come to the family to worship anymore. No. They go down to the Sodomite church. And in the Sodomite church, they worship images, idols. And Lot's concerned. And he says to his daughter, daughter, that's exactly what I knew would happen. You, you marry him, you, you start into a family relationship, now you've got a little baby and you're taking that kid to the Sodomite church. All that baby's ever going to know is images and idols. We worship the true God. Daddy, calm down. Nothing's changed, Dad. I go down there and go through the motions, but... I don't believe in that idol. I remember the God of Abraham. Dad, quit worrying. I'm teaching our little boy about the God of your father. But on the other hand, Dad, they do have a whole lot more exciting services down there than we can have here in our, in our home, you know. I mean, after all, you're so busy all week with your ledger books that, you know, Dad, I, I don't want to hurt you, but... I mean, sometimes it just seems like we're going through the motions. And a dagger goes in Lot's heart with the ledger books, and the dagger heals. But it comes again when the next daughter comes, and she doesn't come in with the nice, congenial boy by the hand and trying to do things decently in order. No, he doesn't even come. There's just the daughter, and the mother. And they burst into his busy office and he sighs in frustration as they distract him from his business. Susie's going to have a baby. And Lot comes out of the chair. What? Didn't I raise you better than that? I didn't raise you to live like some lousy streetwalker. Lot, sit down. After all, who brought us to Sodom? Lot, who brought us to Sodom? Decisions put together make a direction in our life. There's no big marriage this time. There's the JP, little money shoved under the table. And they get a sleazy apartment down on the backside. This kid, this kid doesn't know a thing about business. You give money to him, it's like pouring money down a rat hole. There's tension. But business is good to Lot. As a matter of fact, the city fathers come and say, Lot, it's time for you to run for mayor. Oh, not, not me, not me, not me. Yes, Lot, it's time for you to run for mayor. You're the only moral influence we've got left in this city. You've kept your integrity living among these people. Well, now that you say that, maybe I should. Maybe this is God's way of opening a door of ministry for me. And so Lot runs and Lot wins. And Lot sits in the gate. And his oldest daughter and her husband come and they're beautiful. The grandchildren are just splendid. It still gnaws at Lot's heart that they spend so much time at the youth camp from the heathen church. It still gnaws at his heart that they don't even come to his place anymore. His daughter says, Daddy, I still believe, but she's there all the time. She's the head of the Ladies' Aid Society. He's on the board of directors of the church. But they're so beautiful. And the kids are doing so well in school. That one boy is so athletic and the other one is so bright. 
And he's glad to have them come. And then there come the others. Lot still gets sick every time he sees that kid. Not only did he take advantage of his daughter, but he's drug her from apartment to apartment to apartment. He's never done well. Every dime that Lot's ever given him has gone down a rat hole. They're four children now, and they can't take care of them, and he's always off on his hunting trips and doesn't worry about the family, and she looks, what is that under her? Has that punk hit her? Lots of shame for them to even come to his inauguration ceremony. The two girls still at home, he says, that won't happen to them. But decisions put together equal a direction. And a direction leads to a destination. So Lot's the mayor. Lot tries hard. But Lot's one man against a tidal wave. And nothing changes in Sodom. As a matter of fact, Lot has lived in Sodom so long that he's gotten used to them and they've gotten used to him. They expect Lot to say, no way, boys, I'm not going along with that. No way, we're not doing that. But they know that when push comes to shove, it's 14 votes against one and they're going to do what they want to. Lot's a good guy. He's good for the image of the city, and he's an excellent businessman. So leave him in as mayor. Let him represent us in all of the community and civic affairs. We'll run the city. When Lot hears about those roving bands that grab passersby and molest them morally, immorally, I should say, Lot cringes, and Lot says, we've got to do something. They say, calm down, Lot. This is Sodom. Decent people go in after dark. We know what goes on after the lights are out, but the doors are locked. Lot, don't worry about it. It's just life. And then one day, Lot's sitting in the gate, and toward him come a couple of visitors. They don't have fancy clothes but there's something distinctive about them. As a matter of fact, for some unexplained reason, Lot gets up out of his chair, something he never does, because after all, he's the mayor of the largest city of the region. He gets up out of the chair, and he finds himself bowing before these men and asking where they're from. When they speak, in Lot's mind, bells go off. Ah, that's the language. That's the language I grew up with. That's the language of Abraham. These people, who are you fellas? Where did you come from? Oh, you say your last stop was the tent of a man, an old man named Abram. Oh, I know Abram. As a matter of fact, he's my adopted father. Is he well? Oh, yes, he's well. Well, gentlemen, welcome to the city. Let me take you to my house. He comes to the door of his house, and his wife says, Lot, I told you no company without warning, remember? I don't care who your visitors are. They don't stay in this house unless I know in advance. Lot says they do stay in this house. It's evening. You know what happens in this house or in this city after the lights go out and the doors are locked. They will stay in our house. She sputters and mutters, but they come in. Lot is entertaining them, and then a knock comes at the door. And when Lot opens the door before him is the very nightmare that he dreaded. There they are. The bands that roam the streets looking for visitors. Homosexuals with burning passions for fresh new men. And they say, Lot, you got a couple of visitors at your house? And Lot steps out and closes the door behind him. Now, gentlemen, we'll not have anything like this. I'm the mayor of this city, and you won't do this. We won't? <laughs> Listen, fellas, he says, we won't do this. 
Lot, you, you know we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> this is nothing new, Mr. Lot. While you were in your beautiful house, by the way, this is a gorgeous place. But while you're in there with your doors closed, we have fun on the streets of Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, Mr. Lot, send out your visitors. We want them. You're not going to get them. We're what? You're not going to get them. That's what I'm the mayor of this city. You guys get out of here. Did you hear him, boys? <laughs> He's treating us like dog. This is the guy that wandered into our city. This is the guy we honored with our votes. And now Mr. Lot's treating us like we're scum. So we're to get out of here. What if we take you with us, Mr. Lot? You've never been to one of our street parties. Why not tonight? What do you think, boys? And the icy fingers of fear go around Lot's heart, but the door opens and two strong arms grab him and jerk him in. And he looks back out through the opening and to his consternation there are men clawing around in blindness, stricken to that condition by angels. And Lot's thinking, how did I get here? How in the world did I ever get to this place? <laughs> but the angels say, Lot, it's just like we heard. It's just like we knew. We've been sent to see what it's really like in Sodom. And Lot, we've found out. And Lot, our message to you is simple. Get out. Get out. Well, well, I'd like to. Believe me. I'd love to get out of this city, but I can't. Lot, get out. Well, why do you say that? Because God is going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. What? Oh, now, really, it's not all this bad. If you guys would have come earlier in the day, you'd have never seen these crowds at night. It's only after the lights go out. It's only after the sunset. It's really not all that bad. I've lived here for years. I've never given in to this. But Lot, you're the only person in this city who hasn't. How do you know that? We know that because Abraham withstood God himself to say, if there are only ten... <laughs> How many are in Lot's family? I, I think maybe there are ten. If there are only ten, will you spare the city? And God said, I will. But Lot, there aren't ten. Get out. Oh, well, I've, I've, got, to go to, I've got to go talk to my daughters. I've, I've got to go. I, I've just got to. And so he runs down the street, and his son's got a gorgeous home, but all of a sudden the gorgeous home doesn't look so good. Lot's thinking, oh, what if they don't believe me? They've been going to the church of Sodom there for so long, and they've been worshiping their idols for so long, they may not believe me. And sure enough, they don't. He beats on the door, doesn't knock, he beats. And the window opens upstairs and the head of his son-in-law comes out and he says, who is it? It's me, it's Lot. There are two angels that came and they said, God's going to destroy this city. We've got to get out. What? What God? We went to church Sunday and our gods didn't say a thing about that. Our prophets prophesied that this would be the best year of business in history. <laughs> destroy the city. Lot, are you awake? Maybe you're having a nightmare. Lot, go on home. I, the kids are in bed. We're here. We'll see you in the office in the morning. I tell you, God is going to destroy this city. He sent two angels. Oh, you mean those plain Jane fellows that came in and you talked to them in the gate? Yes, they're angels. Lot, come on. Lot, You've been under a lot of pressure. You really, you really, really need to take a break. I'll tell you what, Dad. This coming week, we'll sit down, and I'll take the business while you're gone, and you go on a, you go on a sabbatical. You've got to have some time off. It's just getting to your nerves. I'm telling you, 
God's going to destroy this city. He is not. You go on home. We'll go back to sleep. And the window goes shut. And Lot staggers down the street. <laughs> my grandkids, my, my daughter, my son-in-law, I knew she shouldn't have married a sodomite. I knew it. I knew it. I'll go talk to the others. He told me if I came back again, he'd kill me. I'll still go. I'll still go. And he goes down into the seedy section of the city and he beats on the door. The son-in-law opens the door and there's a dagger in his hand. Who is it? It's Lot. What did I tell you, Mr. Lot? I know what you told me, but I've got to come tell you that there are two angels that came and said, God is going to destroy this city and you've got to get out. Mr. Lot, you never cared about us before. Why should you care about us now? See you, buddy. And Lot goes staggering back to his home. And he's weeping. He's saying to his wife, wife, how did we get here? How did this happen? What on earth got us to this place? And the angels come and say, now listen, Lot, let me talk to you. Calm down. Stop crying. You get out. Lot, get out. Do you understand? Get your things. Get your family. And get out. They won't listen. I don't care, Lot. Get out. God's going to destroy this city. And Lot's blubbering. And finally they get his arm and they march him out of the city. He and his wife and his two underage daughters. It's never even dawned on Lot that he's not only been in Sodom with his family, but now his family has Sodom in them. The angels get them to the edge of the city and they start for the plain. And Lot will say, I can't make it to the mountain. I can't. Could you let me go to could you let me go to Zoar? That's a little city. Could, could you spare that one and let me go there? I can't make it to the mountain. Something's liable to happen to us in the mountain. Something's gonna happen to you if you don't get out of here, Lot. Now go! Go to Zoar if you have to. But don't look back. Lot starts out through the brush. He starts out to the waving fields. He's not seeing sparkling water now and waving fields of grass. He's not seeing herds. He's not thinking dollar signs. He's thinking survival. Don't look back. Don't look back. Where's mom? What he didn't know was that his wife might be out of Sodom, but Sodom wasn't out of her. And she looked back, and he lost his wife. He took his two girls and he, he forced them and they went, through the, they went through the plain and they went past Zoar and they did find the mountain and they did find a cave. And the next morning, Sodom and Gomorrah became an incinerator as God dumped his wrath on the awful sin of that place and literally scorched the ground to this day. Lot's living in a cave he doesn't have a palatial home now. There are no ledger books to work on. All there is is time to sit and think and think and sit and sit and think. And he says, how did I get here? Let's see, I chose the plain. I chose the cities of the plain. I chose to pitch toward Sodom. I chose to be in Sodom. I chose to be a part of Sodom. I lost my children in Sodom. I, I lost my wife to Sodom. How did I? I guess I do know how I got here. One baby step at a time. And then the night comes when Lot's daughters have had nothing but time to think and their values have been so distorted after all their oldest daughter got to coming and taking them down to the, the church of, of Sodom because there were so many more young people. There were so many more activities, you know. And those girls had lost their concept of moral purity until they decided it was more important to have children than it was to have purity. And so they made their own father drunk and he fathered his own children. That's an ugly story, isn't it? And you have to ask yourself, how in the world did he ever get here? 
He got there one little choice after another little choice after another little choice after another little choice. But decisions linked together set a direction and a direction leads to a destination. There's another man in this story. And on that same fateful day when Lot looked over the waving fields of the plain and said... I've got to have it. The other man looked at the mountains and said, I'll take it. Lot went into the plain and became abundantly successful. He built him nice houses. Abraham moved to the mountains and spent the rest of his life wandering. I can almost hear him one day as Sarah says to him, Abraham, Abraham, we're not as young as we used to be. And we've got our little boy Isaac. And Abraham, sometimes I just long for some roots. Sometimes I just long to settle down someplace. To put my roots down. Abraham, I'm sick of moving. I know you got those nice rugs from those Persian traders. I know you made everything as nice as you could. But Abraham, I'm sick of moving. When are we going to stop? See Abraham as he puts his hand to his head. And he says... Sarah, Sarah, I don't know. I know you're tired of moving. But Sarah, somehow in my old heart, there's something that calls. Sarah, do you remember back there in Ur of the Chaldees? We had it all, didn't we, Sarah? And then God called me one day and said, Abraham, get out of here. And he said, I followed the call. And we went up the Fertile Crescent and we stopped at Heron and we built a nice house in a city and, and Daddy died there. And then, Sarah, you remember that night. You remember I woke up in the night and I couldn't get away from it. Something kept saying, Abraham, Sarah, this is not where I want you. I want you to move on. And Sarah, you remember we packed up and left it. And we came into this land. We wandered into Egypt. We came back. Sarah, this is our land. And I don't understand everything God is saying, but Sarah, Sarah, come out here. Come out here. Sarah, look at, look at the stars of the heavens. Look at all this sand all around us. Sarah, God's told me that little Isaac is going to grow up and we're going to have seed like the sands that are around us, like the stars of the heavens. I know, Abraham, and I believe that, but I'm just tired of wandering. Sarah, I don't know if you'll ever understand this or not, but Sarah, as I prayed this morning, I just felt a tug on my heart that said, Abraham, you've not found any continuing city, but Abraham, I'm going to give you a city that hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, you're not made for this world. You're made for another. And he slips his arm around Sarah and her head drops on his shoulder and she weeps and he says, Sarah, in a way I'm sorry, but in another way I see the city and I can't stop. And I see her, she frames his face in her hands and says, Abraham, I'm with you. If God gave us a son, as he promised, God will give us a city. As he promised, Abraham, I'm with you if I never live in anything but a tent. Abraham walks off the scene of life to find the city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Lot walked off the stage of life. He lost his family to Sodom. He lost his wife because of Sodom. He lost his name in association with Sodom. Every time you say the word Lot, you think Sodom. When you say the name Abraham, you think friend of God. How did Abraham get to that place? A choice at a time. There was the choice there at Ur. There was the choice at Haran. There was the choice in Egypt. He went back to the altar at Bethel. He came back again and again. And he followed God. Found his place in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the Faith Hall of Fame. He chose his way there. May I say to you this morning, your life 
will be the sum total of your decisions which come together to form a direction. And that direction will lead you to a destination. I'm talking to people today that your past there's nothing to write home about. There have been heartaches and problems. Maybe you never had a chance. But I've got good news for you this morning. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords <laughs> walks the, uh, the aisles of this church to say, if you'll choose me, <laughs> I'll take you from where you are, you are and take you to where you ought to be. Your future can be different than your past if you choose Jesus. But there are some people here this morning that the sirens of the world are singing and you're looking. You're listening, you're longing, you're going, you're losing. And one day, you'll look back down along the road of life and say, how did I ever get here? One little decision at a time, that's how you got there. But I'm glad to tell you today, you can get off that road. <laughs> You can take the road to the mountains. Abraham is there. God is there. The angels are there. Blessing is there. Promise is there. And you can choose to go there today. If you'll let God have a chance in your life, shall we stand? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. 